evening, we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Ezra. With this as the focus, I'd like you to open your Bibles now to Ezra chapter 7. As you make your way to the seventh chapter of Ezra, well, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that this book began with Ezra's account of the day when King Cyrus, the king of Persia, he decreed the end of Israel's Babylonian captivity. And it was back in 537 BC when many of the Israelites who had been exiled to Babylon, they began their journey back to Jerusalem. Well, after arriving in the land of their inheritance, that's when the Israelites began to rebuild the temple of the living God there in Jerusalem. Uh, Unfortunately for them, the foreigners who were living in the land, well, they did their best to stop them from completing the work of the temple. And that's when the Lord raised up a Persian king named Darius. And Darius issued an official decree uh, which provided the people of God with the right to rebuild the house of the Lord there in Jerusalem. And then it was in our text last week. That's when we learned about the day when the reconstruction of the temple was finally completed. And and what this means is is that the events that we found back in Ezra chapter 6, they actually took place in 515 BC. Now, as we move into chapter 7 of Ezra, we're actually fast forwarding in time 60 years to the day when Ezra was finally sent to Jerusalem. 60 years has now passed from chapter 6 to chapter 7. And in order to put this time frame into a proper perspective, it'll help you to know that all of the events that we find recorded in the incredible book of Esther, well, all those events actually took place in that 60-year gap, which is situated uh, between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. Now, in order to explain why I'm bringing this up, it'll help you to know that the book of Esther, it actually recounts the days when a wicked man named Haman attempted to exterminate the Jews. As a matter of fact, Haman abused his political position there in the courts of Persia by encouraging the king of Persia to order the execution of God's chosen people. And it's sad to say that it didn't take much to convince the king that this was their best plan. Well, thankfully for the Jews, uh, there was a Jewish woman named Esther, and Esther had actually become part of King Xerxes' harem. And with a heart filled with faith, Esther risked her own life by going and revealing to the king that she was also a Jew. And in response to this revelation, you know, the king of Persia sought to protect the life of Esther. And in this way, the evil plan of Haman was foiled as the king empowered the Jews to to have the legal rights to defend themselves against Haman's henchmen. As a result, Haman ended up being hanged from his own gallows. And now uh, the Jews actually commemorate this victory every year during the Feast of Purim. Well, now as we consider the way that King Xerxes issued that decree in order to protect his queen, Esther, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that the son of Xerxes, who became known as Artaxerxes, well, he also became a Persian king, and King Artaxerxes truly loved the people of Esther. King Artaxerxes truly loved the people of God, and one reason why is because the son of Xerxes, Artaxerxes, uh, he may have been the son of of Queen Esther. If so, this would explain why the, the kingly decree of King Artaxerxes, which is found here in our text tonight, was so much in favor of the people of God. And, 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 uh, and we'll just consider more about that as we make our way through the text tonight. 
Not only that, but as we consider the way that King Artaxerxes sent Ezra to Jerusalem, we're also going to consider the way that the Lord is able to make an impact on, on the entire nation of a people with just one believer whose heart is completely devoted to the true and living God. Well, with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Ezra's account, which is found here in Ezra chapter 7. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 1, here Ezra writes, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, uh, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Zeruiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abusha, uh, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Now here in the opening verses of this chapter, we actually find Ezra. He's establishing his priestly credentials by tracing his genealogy all the way back to Aaron. And the reason why this was so important was due to the fact that it was required for the priests of Israel to to come from the lineage of Moses' brother, Aaron. With that being the case, Ezra was certain that the leaders there in Jerusalem, they would want to check his credentials. As he arrived there in Jerusalem, they would want to check his credentials before receiving him as a priest. And not only did Ezra take the time here to prove his priestly lineage by tracing his bloodline back to Aaron, but he also informs his audience here that he was also a skilled scribe in the law of Moses and a very humble man, if he doesn't say so himself. But he was, he was a skilled scribe. And for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that the scribes were theologians who not only worked to preserve the word of God, but they also taught the truth of God's word in order to help the people to learn how to apply the truth of God's word. What this means then is that Ezra was an expert in the law of Moses. And not only that, but he was also a highly trained teacher who was able to instruct people according to the word of God. Finally, we should also notice that Ezra's calling was confirmed by King Artaxerxes. As a matter of fact, it's there at the end of verse 6 where we learn that the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. From this we can see that king, the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, was able to confirm that Ezra's calling was from the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it's for this reason that King Artaxerxes granted Ezra everything that he requested. Now you might be wondering, well, what did he request? Well, with this as our focus, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 7. Look with me there, beginning at verse 7. Here we learn that some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now here in these verses we find Ezra, he's recounting the days when he led this group of Israelites on a five-month journey to Jerusalem from the land of Babylon. 
Now it's in our study next week when we'll consider how many people went with him as he made his way to the land of promise. And yet here in our text tonight, what we do learn is that there, this group actually included the, some priests. It, it included some Levites. There were some singers and gatekeepers, as well as the Nethanim, who were the dedicated servants uh, that, that helped uh, the Levites. Ezra also informs us that the good hand of God was upon them as he led this group back to the land of promise. In our study next week, we'll learn more about the way that, the, that they received the divine guidance of God as they traveled from Babylon on this five-month journey to Jerusalem. But for, for the sake of, of our study tonight, we must not fail to notice the reason for why the Lord chose Ezra for this leadership position. Sometimes we wonder, why did, why did God choose that person over some other? You know, there were other priests. There were even priests in this group. And so why Ezra versus any of these other priests to, to lead this group? Well, with this as the focus, if you would look with me again there at Ezra chapter 7, it's there in verse 10. There we learn that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. From this, we can see that Ezra was a man who first prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Or in other words, Ezra was a, was a priest who devoted himself to the study of God's word. That's why he was a skilled scribe. And not only did he dedicate his life to the study of God's word, because listen, there's, there's lots of biblical scholars in the world today who don't believe a single word they're reading. You can be a biblical scholar and, and, and know everything there is to know about the Bible and still yet not believe anything you've read. But that's not true here of Ezra. Ezra was a man who devoted himself to the study of God's word. He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And there in the, in the middle of verse 10, and to do it, to do it. He wanted to live his life according to the divine directions that he was reading. Not only that, but we also learn here that he was determined to help others to understand the truth of God's word so, so that they also could properly apply it to their lives. And so he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. That being the case, it's no wonder that God raised up Ezra to be the leader of this group, to lead these Israelites to the land of their inheritance. Furthermore, it's also important for us to remember that 60 years had passed from the dedication of the second temple until the day of Ezra's arrival. And it's sad to say that the people who had returned initially under the leadership of Zerubbabel, well, they were already turning away from the Lord as they worshiped the idols of the pagan nations. And with that being the case, there should be no doubt in our minds here that the Lord was actually sending this skilled scribe to Jerusalem so that Ezra could go and teach divine decrees and righteous regulations of God's word so that these people there in Israel might repent and, and return to the Lord. Now, in light of his example, it's important for us to realize that the Lord is always looking to bless those who will devote themselves to the divine directions of his holy word. Those who will set their heart to study the word of God and to do the word of God and to tell others about what they've learned. Well, the Lord wants to bless these people. I like the way that the Lord Jesus uh, addresses this in Matthew chapter 7. It's there where he declares, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Christian, listen, if you want to make sure that the good hand of God is on your life, then I encourage you, follow the example of Ezra. Prepare your heart to study the word of God so that you can do it. Don't just hear the teachings of Jesus. Hear them and apply them to your life. As we devote our lives to the divine directions of God's word, well, that's when we can rejoice in knowing that our lives will be established upon the solid foundation of truth. Jesus is the truth. Simply put, the believer who abides in the word of God is going to be blessed. We're going to be blessed as we walk in the wisdom that the Lord provides to those who trust in him. Now with this as the goal, I want to continue to consider how the good hand of God was actually guiding Ezra as the Lord actually used King Artaxerxes to confirm the calling of this dedicated disciple. And with this as the focus, let's consider the kingly decree that we find here in Ezra chapter 7. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 11. Here we read, this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra, the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and whereas you are to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered to the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. Also the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, and 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limits. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also, we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethanim, or servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, 
according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who, will, uh, who do not know them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Wow, now uh, here in these verses we find this, this decree which was given by King Artaxerxes, who I'll remind you uh, was either the son or possibly the stepson of Queen Esther. No doubt he was raised by Queen Esther, and, and regardless of whether Queen Esther was his biological mother or his stepmother, there's no doubt in my mind that the son of King Xerxes ended up believing in the God of Esther. He, he believed in the God of Israel. And as we, as we take a closer look at, at some of the statements that he makes here, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I believe we're going to meet King Artaxerxes in heaven. To prove my point, notice with me again there in uh, Ezra 7 verse 12. There in the second half of the verse, the king refers to Ezra the, the priest as a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. That's what he calls Ezra, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Seems to me here that King Artaxerxes believed that the God of Ezra was the one who dwells in heaven. Not only that, but the king of Persia also believed that the God of Israel, that he's not only dwelling in heaven, but he also believed that the Lord was dwelling in the temple there in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, notice with me again there in verse 15, here King Artaxerxes encourages Ezra to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. In other words, the king wanted Ezra to present this offering to the God of Israel, who not only dwells in heaven, but who also dwells there at the temple in Jerusalem. Well, it's true that he also goes on to refer to the Lord as their God, speaking of the Jews in verse 16, and your God in verses 17, 18, and 19. It's also true, though, that there at the end of verse 19, there he refers to the Lord as the God of Jerusalem. Not only that, but there in verse 23, King Artaxerxes declares whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven, for why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Here again, we find the king of Persia, he's acknowledging the fact that the God of Israel, whose house is in Jerusalem, is also the God of heaven. He's the creator of heaven. And not only that, but he also acknowledges that the wrath of this God would be against his entire realm. And remember, the king of Persia was basically the king of the world at this point in time. So he's saying, hey, I don't want to sin against the God of heaven, lest he begin to punish the people over the realm that I oversee. In this way, he was acknowledging the authority of the God of heaven and earth. In light of these passages, well, it seems to me that King Artaxerxes had not only heard about the God of Esther, but that he also believed in the Abrahamic covenant, which I'll remind you assures us that those who bless the people of Israel will be blessed. And those who curse the people of Israel, they'll be cursed. I have no doubt that Esther taught the Abrahamic covenant <clears throat> to uh, uh, you know, King Artaxerxes when he was a child. Because here we see him saying, hey, if we don't bless the people of Israel, the God of heaven is going to come and punish us. Now, that's a clear understanding of this Abrahamic covenant. With this in mind, it's sad to say that the leaders of our nation are currently putting this covenant to the test. As a matter of fact, the current president has not only armed the Taliban with a war chest 
totaling in at, at, at at least $10 billion, some speculate even up to 80. In this way, you know, America then has effectively armed the terrorists who have consistently called upon the world's Muslims to unite together so that together they can wage war against Israel. Yeah, we've armed them through the federal headship of, of the guy in the White House right now. Not only that, but it was last February when Biden lifted sanctions on Iran's nuclear program because, you know, they'll never use nukes to, to attack Israel, though they have promised to wipe Israel from the face of the map. And it was last year when Biden also agreed to release $3 billion in Iranian funds, which were made available to the Iranian leaders who have stated very, very cl- clearly that they are going to wipe Israel from the map. In this way, our federal government has effectively cursed Israel. Well, since then, what have we seen here in America? We've seen the cost of everything continuing to increase by at least 8% as we suffer a 40-year spike in in inflation. And, and, And not only that, but the winter wheat crop is currently being diminished by the drought that we're suffering, which is affecting more than half our country. Oh, oh, and at least 20 food processing plants here in the U.S. have caught fire or exploded in the last several months. It's truly amazing to see what's happening. And as I consider how all of this is going to affect the supply chain and the food supply, it seems to me that the Lord is making good on his promise. Those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. That being the case, I would just remind you, the midterms are coming in November. And with that being the case, you know, we would do well to vote for political leaders who want to bless the state of Israel. We should look for leaders who want to bless the children of Israel because those who bless Israel will be blessed. Not only that, but we would also do well to pray for our political leaders who are currently in office so that they might wake up and realize that there really is only one solution, which is to repent and return to the Lord. We need leaders who might embrace the divine directions that we find in the word of God. And with this in mind, let's take a closer look at the counsel that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra here in this official decree. I want to back up. I want to begin reading once again at verse 23. There again, King Artaxerxes, this Persian king, says this to Ezra. He says, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? That is wisdom. That is a man of wisdom right there. Verse 24, also we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethanim, or servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know their own opinions and what they were taught at Harvard. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. No, it says... All such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or uh, confiscation of goods or imprisonment. 
Now, as we consider this final section of, of the king's decree, we, we, we find Artaxerxes here providing Ezra with inspired instructions, I would even say divine directions, which would help Ezra to order the leadership structure there in the land of promise uh, according to uh, the word of God. And we must not fail to notice that his first concern, the first concern of King Artaxerxes was focused on the commands that God gave for the proper worship there at the temple. That's what he says there in verse 23. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, and let it, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For, for why should we invite God's wrath upon us? By not doing that. His first concern was focused on the commands that God gave for the temple. And King Artaxerxes here was helping Ezra to understand that the people of Israel should center their entire society around the commands of the true king of kings. And in this way, they would be sure to avoid the wrath of God. Sounds like good advice to me. At the same time, King Artaxerxes also instructed Ezra to direct the people of Israel to support the work of the ministry there at the temple by making sure that the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim, and all the servants there at the house of God were set free from any tax, any tribute, and any custom. One reason why? Well, those who are called to full-time ministry there at the temple, they had received a higher calling than, than the taxes that are designed to support the civil government. And so God in his temple first, the servants of God at the temple second, and then civil magistrates underneath that. That's right, after making sure that the full-time ministry there at the temple was properly put in place and supported, King Artaxerxes then directed Ezra's attention to the civil leaders like the regional magistrates and the judges. Notice again in verse 25. There the king declares, And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your, of your God and teach that those who, who do not know them. So, so here's this priest... Here's this scribe being put in charge of appointing magistrates and judges, the civil leaders, the judicial leaders, put in place by the priests. And listen, this isn't King David talking. This is King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, saying this. And he's told here, Teach them the Bible. The, the magistrates and the judges who don't know God's word, those who were probably already appointed, make sure they know the laws of God. The king encouraged Ezra to use the laws of Moses as the biblical basis for their, their entire judicial system. Notice again in verse 26, there the king declares, whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death. Yeah, the Bible's all for the death penalty. And there's clear instructions on, on when that should, uh, should apply. And if not death, if it's a lesser crime, then banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. And there's clear instructions in the law regarding all of these things. 
And King Artaxerxes was encouraging this priest Ezra to use the law of Moses as the basis for establishing the entire judicial system there in Israel, which was a realm that was under King Artaxerxes at this period of time. And as we consider all of these instructions that the king gave to Ezra, it should be obvious to us here why the judicial system is broken here in America. You might not know this, but our nation is currently suffering from a broken judicial system, which you know, is effectively punishing law-abiding citizens by failing to properly punish criminals. We really shouldn't be surprised, especially after watching the appointment of a Supreme Court justice who had no problem, didn't even blush in confessing that she doesn't even know how to define the word woman. Wait, you're going you're gonna to be a judge sitting on our highest court and you don't know how to define the word woman? How will you judge? How, how have you been determining which people go to women's prisons and which people go to men's prisons this whole time? Yeah, we have a Supreme Court justice who is either unwilling or unable to provide a working definition for the word woman because it's just not socially acceptable anymore. And that's why she's taking her cues from the wrong standards, from the wrong people. Our judicial system is broken. And the main reason why is due to the fact that we have judges and legislators who either don't know the word of God or they know it and they reject it. How else can you explain the decision of the Supreme Court that allows women to terminate the lives of their unborn babies? How else can you explain it except that they just don't care what God's word says about life? Our judicial system is broken because our our country has demanded a separation of church and state. They don't want the church bringing truth to the state. And Christians buy into this. Well, we don't want to force our religious beliefs on people. We don't want to force our morality on people that aren't Christian. Why not? Why not? Is there something wrong with the Bible? Is there something wrong with the morality that we find in the scriptures? Listen, if God isn't first in a nation, then he's last. And if he's last, then what is the basis or the philosophical foundation of the judicial system? If the worship of God isn't the center of a society, then it's only a matter of time before corrupt legislators begin to call good evil. And then they call evil good. And it's sad to say that this is a pretty good description of what's happening here in America. It's for this reason that I encourage every Christian, vote for leaders who are putting the Lord first in their lives. We need leaders like King Artaxerxes who truly believe that the blessings of God are poured out on the nation whose God is the Lord. I, I, you know, I can't even tell you how, how long ago it was when I voted according to a party line. I, I don't vote according to party lines. I, I vote according to what a person believes. I don't care what party they're part of. I want to know, do they submit their lives to Jesus Christ? And if I got to go find that person in a, in a 
third party, that's what I do. We need to vote for leaders who truly love the Lord and let God determine who he's going to put in office. At the same time, it's important to remember that politics is downstream from culture. And therefore, if you really want to change the political climate here in our country, then we must become those believers who are actively changing the culture today. To prove my point, I want to consider how Ezra changed the culture there in the land of Israel. Uh, If you would, let's pick up our study of Ezra chapter 7. Look with me there, beginning at verse 27. Here Ezra declares, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged as the hand of the Lord, my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Here in the final verses of this chapter, we find Ezra, he's rejoicing over the fact that the Lord God of Israel had put all of this on the heart of King Artaxerxes and allowed him to be a part of this incredible plan. He was rejoicing that the the God of Israel had called him and enabled him to go and make a difference there in the land of promise, both spiritually there at the temple and politically there in the civil government. And with this as his calling, Ezra then gathered together a group of leaders who could help him to change the culture there in Israel. As we see, as, as we'll see as we continue making our way through this book, uh, it'll become quickly apparent that the people in Israel had fallen away from the Lord, that they were going along to get along with the pagans in, in, in the nation around them. But Ezra showed up with a calling from the Lord and a commitment in his heart to change the culture there in Israel, and God used them to do just that. And we'll see how this skilled scribe changed the spiritual and the political climate of Israel by simply teaching the statutes and the ordinances of God's holy word as he called people to repent and return to the Lord. In light of his example, I want to wrap up this study by reminding you that the Lord is now calling every Christian to change the culture of our society by presenting every person with the statutes and the ordinances of God's holy word. I like the way that Paul put it in Colossians chapter 1. There he declares, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Christian, listen, the Lord is calling every Christian to go and warn every person in our sphere of influence about the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he's also calling us to present every person with the wisdom of God's word so that we might, you know, lead them to Jesus Christ so that they might embrace the free gift of grace, which is received by faith in in our Messiah. As Paul says, to this end, we should labor. To what end? to the end of presenting every person perfect in Christ. To this end, we should labor and we should strive according to his working, which works in us mightily. We should strive. We should make ourselves available, all the while realizing that he's the one doing the work through us. 
And as we continue to, to accomplish this calling of the Great Commission, we end up changing the culture around us with every single conversion. And with every person that is converted, the political climate of our country changes. Now, I, I most certainly encourage every Christian to go vote for leaders who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Get ready, November's coming. And yet, if you're waiting for November to, to make a difference, that's a whole lot of time wasted. Hoping that maybe somewhere in the group there's going to be some believers that are, are ready to make a difference. Typically not. Yeah, a lot of times in, in our elections, we're trying to figure out the lesser of two evils. So, so you're choosing evil. Don't wait for November to try to make a change. Wake up tomorrow and get ready to go warn people and teach them about the truth of God's word. And, and then when tomorrow is done and you wake up the next day, wake up and go tell someone else about Jesus. Don't wait for November as we pray for leaders who might love the Lord, but wake up every day with the plan of preaching the gospel to anyone who would listen. Let's warn every person by taking the time to teach them the truth of God's word. And as we do, let's pray that we might be able to present every person perfect in Christ Jesus after leading them into the love of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and for how you use it to, uh, 